Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Lords and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. We have a special guest today, not only Simon Mann, who's been a regular of course, but also Nick Compton, the Middlesex and England player. And the reason why we've got Nick Compton on the show today is because, well, two reasons actually. One, it's your testimonial year and also it's uh, a month until what would have been your grandfather Dennis Compton's 100th birthday. So we've actually done a big feature in the Cricketer magazine this month all about the Comptons, both Dennis and of course Nick, and because it's sort of almost the 100th anniversary of Dennis Compton's birth, and this was the ground where he, you know, so sort of held sway and was, and was so famous, a stand named after him too, we thought it was appropriate to, to do the podcast from here. Nick, um, your memories of your of your grandfather. What you know? What was the sort of biggest influence he had on you? Quite vivid memories, and I think a very strong, you know, a real strong influence in terms of what he represented. I think particularly growing up, you know, I grew up in South Africa. You can tell from the the sort of strange twang that I've got. I haven't managed to get rid of that completely. Um, but I remember him coming to South Africa a couple of times to to see me play as an eight year old, nine year old playing football at that stage. Um, I think that was the passion. As an eight or nine year old, that very that went pretty quickly with cricket and, and mainstream sports like rugby. Um, but I remember him sitting on the side. I, I remember scoring a hat trick in front of him. That was a very fond memory. I can remember the being on the left side and curling in my left footer in the top corner, and he was there. And it's funny. I mean, you know, I was a young guy. I was what sort of ten, eleven years old. So there aren't a lot of memories, but there's some very vivid ones. And of course, I think the strongest one was when I came to England on a, on an England cricket tour, and I stayed with him. Um, up in uh, Burnham Beaches where he lived. And, uh, you know, the, the one that I've, I've sort of spoken about here in this article is, you know, I was hitting some balls in the backyard and uh, my dad was throwing to me, I think I had a game the next day. And, um, uh, you know, I, I sort of had this perfect high elbow and I was quite proud of it. And I thought, oh, Grandpa must be really impressed. And <laughs> he, he was sort of sitting there on the porch with his ever-present glass of brandy and sort of tur- turned around or, or shouted, oh, for heaven's sake, just hit the bloody thing, you know? And... Uh, I remember getting a bit of a, 
yeah, he's probably right. You know what I mean? Stop trying to be too perfect and, and just hit the ball. And, and, you know, look, I probably never lost that um, affinity for a forward defence. But, <laughs> you know, it, w- when I tended to overanalyze, which I, which I had a, a knack of doing at times, you know, that, that came into my, yeah. into my head. And I remember thinking, you know, just let go. You know, let's just play and, and let your natural ability come out. And I think that's what he did so well. Can you remember a, a time when he did that? Can you remember innings when he did that? <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. Just said, right, I'm just going to go for it. Today. I, I, the, the one that I remember that actually... I, I think for me started probably the best period of my career, and, and I was playing. At, I was at Somerset at that stage, and um, we played against Hampshire. And uh, Ian Gould, the umpire, who had a long, you know, history, and, and you'll remember him yeah, from, from Middlesex yeah. days. Um, and I remember getting a, a painful twenty in the first innings, and I remember sitting up. I, 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 some, sometimes when I was angry, I'd sort of sit outside of the the change room because I didn't want to sort of affect anyone who was getting ready to bat so I'd sit around the corner and sort of spend 10 minutes of my own I remember looking up and thinking god if cricket's going to be like that every time I'm not sure I've got many innings left to me and uh, we went out to field and Hampshire amassed 500 or some huge score so I had a long time standing next to him at, at square leg and I just said you know things aren't working at the moment he said you know what just stand stand slightly sideways on uh, with a slightly open stance get your head onto the stumps keep still nice and relaxed and let the bowler bowl the ball and react as late as possible. And he said, trust me, you'll, you'll react. And I, I, going into the second innings, we did 130 to win. Uh, Triscothic got out early. Um, and I thought, to hell with it. This is, you know, I've got nothing to lose here. I walked out there. I went middle. I stood there, slightly open, let the bowler bowl the ball. First ball, I went crunch through the covers. Next ball, solid defense. And I was away. And I think I got 50 off about 45 balls. We won the game. And I almost felt like going and giving him a big hug and just saying thanks very much. And I, I've largely stuck to that principle most of my career because, you know, you can get carried away with it. But, I, I you know, standing still, hit on the stumps and, and let the bowler bowl the ball and react. And I, I think I always tried to come back to that. And that, for me, was a, a major catalyst for, for what happened after that. Did you, uh, did you watch him bat much? Did you see film of him? Obviously, you were too young to, to actually sure. see him in, in real life. Saw a few snippets. Uh, I guess the the sweep was a famous shot, wasn't it? The um, the winning runs in the Ashes. Um, in I think it was fifty three. Um, England won the Ashes. Yeah, oh, him running off it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, of course, I saw some of his, you know, his, you know, less high elbow, more, you know, a little bit of fluency, quite dashing. Um, you know, the, the sweep around there for two. He sort of placed the ball, didn't he? He wasn't a big hitter, although he did get three hundred in Benoni. Oh, right. And I remember people who went to that game and said. I think he hit something like, I can't remember how many sixes, but it was a world record for the fastest 300. And people were saying, oh, hit a six over here. And the story, I mean, I'm sure they've been a bit yeah, elaborated, yeah, sure. uh, hitting sixes in different areas. And, you know, I think like, I've seen snippets of him. There's no doubt that um, his personality sort of went as much as as it did with his, his play. I, mean, I just was just looking up his stats, actually. That incredible season of 1947. 3,816 <laughs> runs in one year, one English county summer, 1,800, an average of 90. 90. I, I suppose, you know, sometimes I've sort of thought a bit more deeply about that summer, and I thought, well, it was just after the war, and I think probably a lot of the bowlers just hadn't regained their fitness, so <laughs> it was probably pretty tough. You know, still there was rationing going on. But he'd so obviously regained his, though. Hard, well, he'd regained his, but how hard is it to keep knocking it, stroking it for fours and, and twos and ones, whereas bowling, obviously, that... That summer was really tough. You know, he used to visit uh, the Middlesex dressing room when I was playing. Uh, he was, I think he was president for, for some years. He was. But he, but he often used to come and sit in the room. He'd pull up a chair, 
just at the, you know, in the dressing room, on the, just in front of the balcony there, and he'd sit there and sort of watch the game for a bit and tell a few stories. And one of my favourites, actually, is when he got hired after a tour of India, when he did very well, um, some merchant came yeah. up to him at the end of the tour <laughs> and said, um, Mr Compton, Mr Compton, we'd like you to play in the Ranji Trophy for Holkar. And so he said, fine, OK. And he said, we'll, um, after every, for every run after you make 100... We'll give you a hundred rupees. So Dennis apparently said, oh, "Very nice, okay, thank you." So every, for every run after a hundred in innings, they'll pay me a hundred rupees. And he said, after he'd got to two hundred and forty-nine, not out in this one game, he was walking off, totting up how many rupees he'd get on a drip, effectively. Yes, exactly. And he got back to the dressing room to find a note on his seat which just said. Very sorry, Mr. Compton called away on very urgent business yeah. uh, from the merchant. So obviously never saw a cent. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I love that story actually. Yeah. But what about the name, Nick? I mean, is, is it something that's? I mean, you, you, you write about a comment in the article here in the, in the cricketer. Do you? Is it? You say it's not been a, a burden to you. Is it? Or, or is it open doors possibly for you? Oh, potentially. I, you know, look, I had a, a fantastic opportunity to go to school to at a famous school, Harrow School. You know, I got a scholarship there. Um, there's no doubt that my, my British passport and, and my uh, English background and, and his prowess on the cricketing field, you know, sort of opened that door. I mean, I, I came over as a youngster. I, I spent time with him while he was president, you know, walking around the grounds. And, you know, I think that that's when those dreams were cultivated, the, the ambition to, to play at, at, at this place and to, to go out here and score hundreds and achieve some of the things he had. But I think... You know, going back a few years, um, you know, it was the professionals, the the stars that I saw on TV that actually probably had the biggest impact on me. Brian Lara, for example, Jacques Callis, you know, two that come to to mind who I wanted to emulate them. You know, and I, yes, it was nice I had this grandfather and, and and I was proud. And you know, over the years as I got older and came to Lords and walked around with him and regaled stories, and I started to understand. You know, hang on a minute, you know this is what my grandfather really represented. And even now I'm still learning things, yeah. you know, through these, these interviews and, um, you know, the, the more people you meet, it's, it's this centenary people start coming out and talking more about it. I mean, I met Bill Redridge's, um, uh, sister the other day. I thought you were going to say eighth wife. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't manage that, but I, I got, I, I met her and she was, um, Fascinating, you know, just talking about Dennis coming over and having cups of tea and, and the conversations. And I played at Denham Golf Course where he was, a, mm, a, yes. you know, probably his, his first home, some would say, much to the dismay of his wife. Um, but he spent a long time over there and, you know, I went back there and I spoke to all of them. So I think these stories for me now in particular um, give me a great sense of pride and, and satisfaction. I think at the time, playing my career just, I wanted to achieve some of the things he did, you know, and I always say it didn't, you know, I, I was my own worst enemy in the sense that I, I wanted to succeed myself. You know, you know, my, it's great having a grandfather who achieved what he did, but actually, I wanted to achieve myself. But you can never put a price on or a number on, you know, deep down, you know, the subliminal effects of of being in a in a, in a you know family like that, a Compton family, and what effects that had on me. Because obviously, cricket's been been everything to me. I mean, could you have pl- I mean, could you have gone on and played? cricket in South Africa and, and, and play for South Africa? Did, I mean, did you feel very English because of your heritage? I, I definitely... It was a real mixture there. It was a mixture. And, and I think anyone who tries to expect anything different would, would be unfair to yeah. ask that. I, I grew up in South Africa. My first images of John T. Rhodes, Andrew yeah. Hudson, Jacques Callis, you know, Daryl Cullen and these players, you know, Hansi Cronier at that, at that stage. Um, 
were the, the people I saw day to day. Were the, you know, I played a lot of my cricket with Hashim Mamlo, who's gone on to achieve great things in South Africa. He's a very dear friend and, and what a fantastic human being. And he was somebody that we fought, our careers followed a similar path, you know, from eight years old, nine years old. So I played in all those development teams. I played in, I was in, along with him, one of the youngest players to be in the Intel Cricket Academy. Um, would I have played for South Africa? We don't know that. You know, how would my cricket have developed? Um, you know, there's, there's quite well-documented politics that have played a, a role in a number of players with British passports coming over here. I think I, I made the decision for slightly different reasons. I think the opportunity to go to a famous school and get your A-levels um, was an opportunity. If looked in isolation, you know, something that I, I doubt many kids would have turned down. You know, in terms of what happened after that, playing for Middlesex and... and having a career here weren't on my radar as a 15 year old you know yes the dream and, and to play here was was wow this is great but you know I was a homesick 15 year old who was quite happy to to have the opportunity but you know I, I think to say that I felt half English half South African would be really honest you know that, that's how I felt and, and of course as time's gone on and, and playing for England I feel you know fully British now I mean my, my dad's quite British. My mum's, you know, had a British background. So my whole larger family are, are English. What's the story now? Because you're not playing for Middlesex. No. Um, is, what's the sort of future hold for you, do you think? Look, it's disappointing. I, you know, I still have a year on my contract at Middlesex. I'd rather be out there playing cricket, to be honest. Um, but uh, the club have decided to go ahead with a younger group of players. We got relegated last year. And, you know, there, there is a talented bunch of guys here. But, you know, I still do feel I've... I've got a lot to offer in cricket, um, and I've, I've felt that for some time. And I think sometimes, um, yeah, I think especially when you've played for England, um, you, it's always going to take time to readjust, to, to find and frame your career in a slightly different way. I'm not 21 years old anymore. I'm not that, that sort of, you know, sort of individual who, who's kind of blinkered in many ways, and, and it's all about your average and, and you know, can I get pick for higher honours, you know, that's not going to happen again. And I think, um, you know, I've come to terms with that. But I think in the same breath, you know, how can I reframe the next stage of my career? And, and I think what's given me a new lease of life is is the opportunity to help young players, to mentor a couple of the youngsters that I've done, um, and to almost be more involved in leadership and, and direction of a club. I think that's something that, you know, I've always been interested in terms of the elite performing side of, of sport. Sportsmanly care, you know, and provided... You know, I think, you know, the elite performing environments in sport can be tough, you know, because the, the demands are high, you know, even higher than they've ever been. Um, the rewards are high as well. But that doesn't, we're still human beings, you know, guys are still going to struggle, they're still going to have doubt, they're still going to have fears. And I think those are the areas where I'd like to, I try and be as honest as I can with other players and almost let younger players. And when you talk to them, and I remember Justin Langer saying to me a few things as a young player, and I remember going, Phew deep sigh of relief like ooh, he feels it as well you know thank heavens for that and I think if I can do that more with players and make them feel comfortable make them say you know what Nick I'm really nervous about this season you know I don't know if I'm good enough and it's okay you know there isn't a, a top athlete out there that I've realized hasn't felt that at some point and I think the more I can identify and have that that relationship with the players I think I've got a lot to offer you know but part in, in part as a as a support, but in also in part from a, a development of, of their excellence. You know, where are they now? Where do they want to go in the future? And, you know, that might be mentoring or, or doing specific workshops, but there's no doubt I'd like to keep my hand in that and, and provide um, that sort of support to, to the next generation. Final question about your, your grandfather and this big event that you've got in September, 26th of September, which is the sort of sporting dynasties 
uh, event, mm. dinner, I guess. So who are the sort of people that are being invited there? And do you think you can pass on to other dynasties how to cope with the legacy of a famous grandfather or father? Looking back, you know, and I spoke about being blinkered and, and very self-focused, but now's a time where you come out of that a little bit and you think, you know, he has a chance to pay tribute to some of the people that have really contributed to my journey. And, you know, it starts with him, really, because those are when, the, 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 you know, the ambition and, and the eyes grew um, walking around here with him and, and hearing his stories. And I think there's a great opportunity for me to, to say thank you um, to to identify and, and, as I say, pay that tribute to, to the legacy that he had and the inspiration he gave to me. So I'd like to do that through an event where, you know, it's a tribute to his centenary. And I, I think it's nice to widen the network. You know, he was also a footballer. He wasn't just a cricketer. So there's a sporting connotation to it. There's a, there's a, a British sporting side to it, which... You know, he's going to try and get other people from other sports, you know, uh, in rugby, in football, in, in cricket, in, in, in all different aspects. And to try and, you know, I think it'd be a nice moment, don't you, for, for other families. You know, I, I, I'm not sure many father-son or grandfather-grandson sort of do that and get together enough and actually go, you know what, this is, this is actually quite special. And uh, that, that would be my vision. It'd be nice to put together a really nice event for, for that sake. Well, that's on the 26th of September. It's interesting, isn't it, Simon, actually, about the... The, the sport is in cricket in particular. I mean, we've obviously got the Broads, mm. and we've got people like the Butchers, the Cowdries, the Headleys, the Stuarts, John Averas, Stewarts, Alex yeah. Stewart, yeah, and, and Mickey Stewart. Yeah. So it, it's very, it's handing down that, that baton in a way that, that happens a lot in cricket. Yeah, I wonder why, why is it in cricket and not some, is it, is it, is it in other sports? I mean, don't, you don't get it so much in football, do you? Um, just like rugby union, there are, there are examples of, of players who, who, Uncles and fathers and, and, and grandfathers. The yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, and they they're coming to your yeah. They're, they're, they're two that I've asked and uh, I've I've known Owen for a few years now and he's I mean, he's gone to achieve great things and Andy's obviously got a, a great prowess in, in the coaching side of things. So I think that's a really interesting combination. You know, you look at the Bothams for example. Yeah. You know. It, you know, there's obviously a, there's a topic to be had there, isn't there, in yeah. terms of how Liam coped with it. I've never really spoken to yeah. him properly over that. Because he went subject. to rugby, of course, yeah, he didn't did. he? Yeah. yeah. And Starting I, cricket, went to rugby. And I, and I often ask my dad and, 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 and my uncle, you know, from all, from every, for all intents and purposes, they were good cricketers themselves. And I said to my dad, and I've tried to ask him, why, why didn't you follow that? And I think the answer was, I think they avoided it. I think they, you know, they were in South Africa. I think it was easier to stay out of, of that limelight. And, you know, because, you know, not saying that they would have gone on to great things, but you speak to other people and they say, look, they were talented cricketers. And there's no doubt, you know, my dad played a few first-class games. And I think with the right guidance, you know, perhaps could have gone to do other things. And I think a lot of people have a similar story. Well, maybe we'll, we'll stop the, the, the focus on your family. Just to say that, uh, the Cricketer is out today and uh, it has about a 10-page section on the Comptons, both Dennis and, and Nick. And you can get a special deal on this, uh, this, uh, this magazine if you go to www.thecricketer.com forward slash podcast, you can get 20% off the subscription to that magazine. So we're with Nick Compton and, and Simon Mann. We're now just going to talk a bit more generally about the, the game of cricket we love and the one thing that I, I struck me and in fact is a question that's been asked a number of times on social media etc mm -hmm. Nick and will definitely kind of be an area that you can talk about is why don't England produce more batsmen 
like you who just want to stay at the crease. You know, we've seen this summer already lots of batsmen struggling with the conditions, which have been fairly bowler-friendly, but lots of big shots played and batsmen not inclined to you know, use the old-fashioned ploy of just defending and riding the movement and trying to stay in. Why don't England produce more players like that, do you think? Well, it's bloody boring, isn't it, Simon? <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, uh, who wants to come and sit down and watch someone plod away for four hours? And I think, look, there's a... Jokes aside, there's a element of, of sort of truth to that in the sense that the game and, and commercially and everything has moved on, hasn't it? I mean, um, when I first started um, and growing up, Test cricket was the the form of cricket, the the soft hands, the the defence. You know, a good leave is as good as a great cover drive. You know, all those anecdotes that you, I grew up with. You know, I, I remember being a young player and. You know, people said my leave was one of my best attributes. Now, <laughs> you put that... Come and watch How does that my, make you feel? Yeah, well, exactly. I was thinking, well, that's nice. My cover drive's not bad either. I'm a pull shot. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that those old attributes, those qualities aren't revered anymore as much. You know, the 2020, the, the MS Dhoni the other day hitting, you know, Joss Butler's and your A.B. de Villiers. I mean, people want to watch that. You know, mm. we're in the entertainment business more so than ever. Um, and it's a... In, in many ways, quite a harsh reality, particularly for the game, I think, because I think we're all lovers of Test cricket here. You know, I still feel that a good session of Test cricket, you know, it doesn't matter how good a T20 game is, nothing compares with that. You know, it's an ultimate test. It's what, you know, players compare themselves to, to other past cricketers. It's what my grandfather thought was, the, you know, the greatest game. And, you know, and I, and I, and I think that's what, those are the, the images and what I, you know, batting for a session, you know, going out and, and facing that Alan Donald versus, you know, Mike Atherton moment. You know, I think we all want one of those growing up, you know. Um, and, and to answer the question, I, I think it's a shame because I still think there's a need for it. Test cricket's still five days long. Um, the rules haven't really changed, have they? You know, you know whether a test match is, you still got to, the, the old attributes haven't changed. You know, batting for a period of time and getting a big hundred, you know, if you can do it in a hundred balls, great. But there aren't many players out there who can do that consistently. You say it's still a five day game. Would you do you think it would be better if it was a four day game? Are you in favour of a move to four day? I'm, I'm not sure I'm the right test cricket. Well, I'm just not sure I'm the right person to answer that question because I I would like it to maintain. Right. It's five day length. I think yeah. that's test cricket. Well, you are the right. You are the right person. Well, just, I am. Just think it should be five days. I do, but yeah. I, I think the, the more and more so, the the decisions are being taken away from the players. You know, it's 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 the the, the commercial decisions are being made now, and you know maybe it's a good time to talk about T Twenty and this hundred ball yeah. game that's coming on, and yeah. and, uh, and to ask me what you know. In what, terms what, what was your reaction to that then? When when you heard that news <laughs> that it was going to be a hundred balls as opposed to T Twenty, what, what did you feel like as I, a player who's played lots? of county cricket and international cricket as well it's part of me that sort of glazed my eyes over a little bit not because it's just where does the start you know another hundred ball it, it, it's it seems impermanent it seems um you know another sort of commercial reaction to trying to better the model that's happened yeah. over the last yeah. 10 years and t20 cricket what else can we come up with i mean it seems to be that you know every business is doing it and, and cricket sort of falls into that bracket now so for me it's not a surprise um you know the 10 10 in, in dubai i mean yeah. there's lots of concepts out there and and, and I'm, i think this will continue um and and so i, I almost probably don't pay the attention to it you know yeah. that i should because you know i still maintain that that test cricket's what i i like to watch i like to watch batsmen who have crafted their technique over years and years and who you know the, the art of batting for me is what really interests yeah. me well because we actually made this point a couple of weeks ago that 
the best players, you don't want to see them bat for 10 balls or 15 <laughs> balls. I actually want to see them bat for four hours. You want someone like Ben Stokes. You don't want to see him just bat for a little bit. You want to see him bat for a lot. Um, and also, you don't get a different range of, of their skills in, in the 10 ball, 15 ball. You watch Ben Stokes batting in the IPL and he just tries to muller everything. Yeah. And actually, it's more interesting yeah. to watch him have to battle through slightly trickier periods before he can. Yeah. And he's yeah. better than that. Yeah. But, you know, the, the range of shots he can exhibit, or anyone can exhibit, in a sort of session of test cricket has a lot more going for it than just, you know, wahooing the ball offside or leg side. Virtually every ball. Yeah, and I think also that probably what I battled with a little bit was, you know, hey, you know, look at these qualities. You know, I mean, I mean, we, you said the best players in the world. I mean, are the best players in the world the ones that can hit three sixty and hit the ball into the upper tier, or are the best players the ones that can play and defend on fourth stump? You know, I mean, are the best players actually both? They can do both. Sure. I mean, ultimately, but you know, it's an interesting. You know, sort of, there's, you know, like you take like a Kieran Pollard, for example, you know, put a red ball in front of him and, yeah. you know, he might not make a club side, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But he's earning millions and millions in the IPL and, and you know, and so he deserves that. So, so what's your definition, what you're saying is what's your definition of, of the best player? What, what attributes are we looking yeah. at? You know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess it's, it's easy to talk about my own performances and go, hey, you know, I had some, you know, I, that's, you know, I did what I did and I, and I think I, I stand, I, I stand strong with, the sort of the game plan that I had, I think it had a it had it has its place. I think if everyone batted my way, no, I don't think you'd get many bums on seats. But you know, test cricket, you know, the new ball, seeing it off, you know, there's a it's a tough job. You know, it's yeah. an intense job, and, and you know, Alistair Cook is, you know, you know, done it so well for for a number of years. You know, you have to admire people who can do that for a, a long period of time. I mean, yeah. Aby de Villiers is an incredible player, really, because mm. he seems to be able to, to go almost seamlessly. From one to and the that other. isn't a pun, you know, from dealing with the high seam red ball and negotiating it and, you know, playing very polished test innings to suddenly going in against the, the flat seam white ball and just walloping it in, in all directions. And, that, and that's down to game plan. I mean, you, you look at players, players with their game plan are so set, you know, you can see the almost instrumental change, you know, from one format to the other. And, and that's why I think he's not undoubtedly, you know, the best cricketer in the world. Mm. I think. Talking of, sort of the long form, you know, we, I suppose it brings us to county championship cricket. And there's now a, a discussion on the table with a working party, another working party, talking about three conferences instead of two divisions. Middlesex currently in the second division, having to battle their way back after winning the tournament to the championship the year before. So, you got a view on that, Nick? Um, do I have a view on that? I, it, it's the things seem to be changing a lot. I don't think we've found the right package yet, have we? Uh, I, I think you know the te- you know we're talking about championship cricket being played at this time of the year. You know, we're missing a big part of it to fit into T Twenty cricket. So, arguably. When are we playing? You know, is champion? What's the what's the the main format of of the game? Will a three tier system make it stronger? I'm not sure. I mean, I'd like to get your views, to be honest. I mean, what's the? Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about it actually. That we, we I had a lunch yesterday with a couple of um, TMS commentators, and we, some one of them actually said cricket's a basket case because we can't work out quite what yeah. we are. And I suppose in a way, the more formats that you create the more you're spoilt for choice and yeah. you don't know which one you prefer. It's a bit like TV station. Now with 600 channels on your uh, Sky platform, whatever platform you buy, 
you've got so much choice. And you watch Les. You watch Les. Will you, you, will you, after ten minutes of watching one programme and getting slightly bored, you flick <laughs> to something else? Because you know there's always going to be yeah. something else to watch. And actually, it's a very unfulfilling way of of watching telly well, and probably, and probably watching cricket yeah. because you can't decide which format is best and the, the, the administrators can't decide which format is best either. But one of the things about cricket though is it, there's always been change in it. People say cricket is a very old-fashioned sport and set in its ways, but there's always been change in cricket. We, we had, th- had three-day cricket and you play a huge number of matches. Then we had one-day cricket brought in. Then we had four-day cricket and now we have t- T20. And the game here has always tried to innovate, to keep up with that sense that, mm. you know, we... When you're competing against, uh, as it is now, even more so than ever, a leviathan like football, you ha- you have to try and sort of keep waving and saying, "Yeah, we're still here. We're still here. Please, look, we've got a great product." Uh, it, it, to use a horrible word, really, about you know, a great game. Brand. Well, I, mean, I don't really yeah. like it. It's a great, it's a great <laughs> sport. It's a great game. It is great game. Um, with all sorts of aspects to it. Um, but, but it does have to compete. I suppose what we're doing constantly is, is thinking about ways to, to keep people's attention. It's equally even harder now than, it, than it's ever been because, I mean, you're not just talking about other sports. You're talking about, you know, if you, I was thinking actually about this one, just watching the number of people who walk around in London just doing that the whole time, looking at, looking looking at, at a screen. screen. Yeah. And bumping into lampposts. Bumping probably. into lampposts. <laughs> you always like, yeah, I always wanted to have this image this morning of some, everyone just looking at their screens and a great big monster just coming up behind them, sort of waving, and then everyone missing it. You know, you're missing everything that's around you. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's sort of the way we are now. And in actual fact, cricket is a great antidote to that, isn't it? Because I often say to people, go to a championship game or a test match if you can and, and just sit there and let, let it wash over you mm. and it's a very soothing experience rather than being bombarded by information all the time with devices or tele, you know, mobile conversations or whatever it is just actually looking at the game unfold can actually be a very calming experience it can but uh, you know everything is about the immediate the now the, you yeah. know, and actually you find the way you view test cricket or four day cricket now almost as different 10 years ago I probably had a bit more patience then you know not everything is now and you're yeah. sort of conditioned to that way of thinking all the time so, so if you started your career now you'd go out and go out and play absolutely of course I would <laughs> yeah I'd be I'd be yeah I'd be doing all of that and there was probably a period of my career where I was pretty innovative you know yeah. I did play the reverse sweep and the sweep and I I know I had that side to my game which I think tactically I probably made a decision that to sort of swim downstream rather than upstream with yeah. the, the, the rest so of the So you almost decided to, to, to perhaps sort of abandon that and I focus did. on what you thought you were best at. Absolutely. I, I, I looked at the Joss Butlers, the Alex Hales. I thought, you know, I can't really compete with that. I, I could become good, but good in a, with a lot of good players doesn't really get me anywhere. But actually I sat down and, and, and from a business perspective almost looked at who are the players in the country that you would go and put a lot of money on to bat for a day. And at the time... When it really came down to it, it was probably cook and trot. And I thought, I'm going to become the third guy who can do that. And, yeah. um, and that was the kind of journey I went on. Yeah. Is it in a way, do you think batsmen who battle away against the red ball, obviously Alistair Cook being one, mm. doesn't play white ball cricket, you, you were another. Do you think they almost look, at, look down, slightly down, it, just subconsciously, at people playing the white ball game thinking, you haven't got a challenge here, mate, it's too easy? Not really, because white ball cricket is a challenge. And, you know... There's probably, a, I think some of the test cricketers, you know, who have done very well might feel a little aggrieved that they haven't made some of the, the money that, you know, some of the players in the IPL have, you know, put mm-hmm. simply because, again, you know, to become a top quality test cricket takes a lot of time, effort, blood, sweat and tears. And, 
you know, you get a lot of these sort of T20 guys who come in for a series, they, they get 100 on TV, they get seen, and suddenly they're earning, you know, one and a half million US dollars. And you sort of think, wow, you know, I've been doing this for years, you know, or, uh, you know, I've got a lot of, you know, mountain of runs and, and, and a career behind me. But um, I think you've got to look past that. I mean, it is a, it is a sign of the times. I, I think that's where the game is. And I think you, you'd be unwise not to, you know, if you had a young kid now to, to make sure they have the odd slog sweeper. <laughs> what, what about just what, what about Alistair Cook? I mean, you, you talked about the way you played. Uh, Alistair Cook has been doing that for year after year after year after year. Does that become come a time in a in a in a batsman's career where you just you almost can't do that anymore because you, you know you, 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 there's a tipping point. I think so. I I, I perhaps did. I, you know, didn't realise the impact of, of how hard I pushed myself at a certain period of time to achieve, you know, what I wanted to. And I, and I think that, you know, that, that comes with a huge amount of resolve, determination, yeah. resilience, you know. And, and sometimes if you look at Alistair Cook's technique, for example, now we could probably pick a few holes here and there as we could in, in a lot of techniques, but his runs don't come through, you know, having a flawless technique. It comes through his character, his determination, um, and that is where I saw all my runs coming from as well. I, I found, you know, people would say, oh, Nick, you played really well today. And I'd go home and go, did I? I'm not sure I played very well, but my word, did I emotionally control myself incredibly well? My word, you know, I could have been out for three today and I'm sitting at home going, I've got a hundred, that could have been naught so easily. You know, that thin line between success yeah. and failure, you know, sometimes is it can get to you after a while. And I think coming back to the point about, you know, being methodical and, and doing what a job like Alistair Cook does, you know, it's not glamorous often. It's not always that fun. I mean, I grew up again in the backyard where hitting a cover drive down on one knee and pulling one like Brian Laura with one knee up is what gave you the thrill. You know, I, I was the same, you know, but, you know, the job required X and Y and actually the mundane, boring, monotonous things is very much what professional sportsmen's days are about and people lose that they they see professional sport as this glamorous thing actually yeah. it's about repeating the same and habits over and over again yeah. and draining yes draining i mean draining if it's not working draining particularly right. if it's not working if yeah. it's working and you can see the results of, of of your job and how the team is succeed i mean the greatest feeling in the world and, and simon you'll, you'll agree with this was contributing to a winning team i mean you put that in a little box and you take it around with you and, and you're happy you know, when you're not contributing, it's, it can be quite a lonely place. And earning the respect of, of the players as well, I suppose, of your teammates. No, the greatest feeling in the world is bowling one that pitched his leg and hit <laughs> yeah. which I've only done, about, I've done about twice in my life. One of them was actually here to, to Tim Robinson. That's one of my favourite memories. And, and then, of course, I think back to being slogged into the Compton stand in the final <laughs> over of the NatWest final in 1989, and that becomes the moment that's most identified with with my career um, so you know it's, uh, actually deals you can't like just catch it now we're just in you the right place I could just catch yeah. it <laughs> yeah, <thanks for> that. <laughs> yes um, but, well, one final question playing and selector England batsman is there one that you pick out from guys who haven't played or guys on the fringe is there someone that you've seen around the circuit that, that you really like I look at England's batting lineup, and I think it could be a stronger batting lineup. I think you know we need to mix the attacking with the defence a little bit more. I know that there's been a push to make T20 
test cricket more exciting. But I come back to the fact that a winning England team is what's actually important. And, uh, you know, I, I like some of the, the young players. There's a lot of young, good young players coming through. I think it would be slightly biased for me to say, but Nick Govins is, has, um, has impressed me. I, I think he's still got some way to go. I think this is a big season for him. Unfortunately, he's a bit injured at the moment, but uh, mm. I think he has the attributes. Mm. Um, he has some strength of character and he hits the ball really hard. So I think there's a... There's an opportunity there for him, but you know he had a very good season in 2016. Struggled a little bit last year, which is fine and good in many ways. You know, I almost see try and try and embrace that struggle a little bit and come back stronger this year. I think at the moment no one's really stuck their hand up and said, you know, I'm I'm here for the long haul. You know, um, young Max Holden, who's opening the batting here, is you know a bit like Alistair Cook at the, in the in terms of the ages. You know, he's got a lot of runs there. He's obviously got an appetite for scoring runs, and that's probably more important than. You know the the technical side of it. That's a good point to stop, actually. Unless Simon, you've got anything no, no, to add, no. particularly. No, no, I think we've said. You've got to, you've got to get to your Pilates class. <laughs> so, I'll join. I love that. Yeah. Well, listen, Nick. Thank you very much for for your time and and, and thoughts. And it's been yeah. fascinating hearing how you've dealt with the, the Compton legacy and good luck with the benefit year and also hopefully you, you get a chance to actually play on the field too um, back to normal podcasting next week so thanks for listening and hope you enjoyed it Sports Social Podcast Network Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.